Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. My guest today is one-third of a trio of true crime trailblazers with a heart as big as her collection of creepy curio. When she's not chugging wine and chatting true crime on her hit podcast, you can find her participating or organizing ways to help leave the world better than she found it. The podcaster studio was proud to welcome Amanda Jacobson. Amanda, hi. Hello. Hello. Good to see you. I'm seeing you. For people who don't know, I'm seeing you. Good to see you. How are you? What an honor. I'm, 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 I'm all right. I'm <laughs> okay. well. Okay. That's a start. We'll, we'll move it up as we get to talking. I mean, this interview has landed at like a culmination of all the global events. Yeah. It's strange times. And the first time I've ever had my home professionally cleaned, so my anxiety burps are nuts as I hide with you in the basement on Inside the Podcaster's studio. We're going to get through this together. We're going to get through the cleaning of your home and the cleaning of the planet. Not in that way. In a fun way. <laughs> Careful now. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 as the ashes of the planet, the right. scorched earth. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I'm very happy to have you inside the podcaster studio just to give people some insight into the world of Amanda. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, I I'm, I'm think this is going to be a fun journey over the next 45 minutes or so. Um, but uh, journeys have a beginning point always. For, uh, so I would like to ask you, Amanda, uh, where were you born? Oh, I was born in Hartford, Connecticut. At 10.09 a.m. on September 30th, oh, no, no, 10.09 p.m. 
Oh, wow. Mark that down for your birth chart and get that to you. I need to change some things in my birth chart. Yeah, <laughs> I, my, my sign might be a little different it's than 12, I thought. Your birth chart's 12 hours off? Yeah. You're a whole different per- – your birth chart doesn't even know who you are. That's, a, that's I don't such a different – a vast difference in time and birth, in birth chart uh, time. I, I always thought I was a Gemini rising with a Capricorn moon. And now I have to find this out. You've I think been, I still am. I think I still am. Anyway, that's where I was born in Hartford. Hartford, Connecticut. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you, I was. My next question doesn't really apply, I don't think, because you eventually moved to Minnesota. Yes. Yes, I did. At what mm-hmm. age did you do that? I moved to Minnesota at the ripe age of nine years old. Okay. It was the nineties. I moved here a year. After the famous Halloween snowstorm of Minnesota that is brought up at every <laughs> gathering, every opportunity that Minnesotans can talk about. It's, it was a big deal, snowstorm. huh? Yeah, <laughs> it was a huge deal. I missed it. I'm sorry. It's like every, yes. everybody has the everybody has a story of that time they saw Prince somewhere in his limousine. Yeah, I've never seen and a, Prince. And, a snow, and, that, and that snowstorm. Those are the two yeah. Minnesotan claims to fame. This is actually very, very accurate. <laughs> a lot of people who are like, oh, you know, yeah, I, I saw him in a Bojangles one time. I mean, <laughs> that's not inaccurate. He did used to go to uh, there's a famous jazz club in Minneapolis called Dakota. And he used to lurk there and watch people perform. And then he would throw like secret pop up parties back at his studio, which I have been to his studio, Paisley Park, but not. Until unfortunately after his death, so my dr- my dream in this world is to is to I only if I could just get to D to C list level of fame, mm-hmm. I would adopt the personality the personality of Prince so quickly mm-hmm. because I just love the stories that they have like oh uh, he he just showed up at a KFC one time with a ping pong mm-hmm. table, challenged everyone there, beat everyone, and then when everybody went to go thank him for buying everybody's food, he was gone. Yeah. I just want to have stories like that. I just want to be eccentric and weird and esoteric and just like only a few people really know me, but everybody has a story about something weird that I've done. So that's a goal. We have a couple of folks like that uh, in Minneapolis. There's one, there's a local artist. His name is Scott Seekins. He's kind of a pain in the ass, but whatever. His thing is that he only wears an, like an all white top to bottom suit in the warm months and then a an all black top to bottom suit in the cold months. So we don't have the groundhog. We don't have Punxsutawney <laughs> Phil here. We have Scott Seekins. The Seeks. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we yep. Seeks the Seeks. Yeah, I get that. I we yeah. Seeks the S- Scott Seekins. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um so uh, my, now my question actually because I didn't know that you got to Minnesota at that age um because mm-hmm. my my follow-up question to what I asked you usually is how how do you feel like where you grew up formed you as a, as an as, as an adult presently but mm-hmm. you know you kind you kind of got a little bit of Connecticut in there by being you I know, really did being in there for you know not nine nine years nine of those things yeah so it's I like bo- both I of them so how did how did both of them kind of make you know the the homage page of Amanda well uh I I have a lot of my family is all still on the east coast so I have kind of an abrasive uh presence sure that is not always welcomed in the Midwest, but I have found my place. And I feel like the East Coast shaped me 
in uh, some of my eccentricities. When I first, my first day of school outfit, and I came in the middle of a school year. So it was not like I was starting new classes with other kids that were also starting fresh. I was right in the middle of the year. Now, what was your approach? Did you want to make a statement or did you want to play the wall? You didn't want to be seen at all. Or did you want to, I want to make a big splash. Oh, I am here. (laughs) That it was, yes, I showed up in a velour leopard print matching like mock turtleneck and legging set oh wow you just threw so many uh different mm-hmm. styles of okay of v- velour velour turtleneck leopard print. leopard print turtleneck with matching yep. pants that were both velour yes so like a velour a like set so this, this is like the predecessor to the velour tracksuit correct this was not a zip up it didn't have a hood it was a mock <sighs> turtleneck so little, oh little a mock oh the mock so it just gets the nape of your neck Oh, I got yeah. I got <laughs> I I got I wore the mock. I did not get mocked. Now was what do you remember this being? Was this a hit? It was a hit. I had a fur coat, a fake fur coat with like leopard print cuffs. Oh, I was wow. like, I showed up, mob wife, and yes. And then as the school year warmed up, I started showcasing my collection of jelly shoes, classic, which were those, like clear yeah. plastic. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I remember being accosted by a fellow classmate. I think her name was Laura, but I don't remember. We clearly didn't stay friends. <laughs> and she told me that here in Minnesota, we wear socks with our sandals. <sighs> and I was like, "Jusque?" <laughs> like, wait, I'm wait. Not, I'm not from around here. I'm not fucking putting socks on with my jellies. That's not how jellies are meant yeah, to be worn. That's not, yeah, it disrupts the gel. You won't see my. It disrupts the gel. You won't see like my peekaboo pink nail toenail polish. Yeah. What are we doing this I, for if you can't see that? Right. I'm here to show ankles and toes. Yeah. She also tried to tell me that in Minnesota, these are I'm using air quotes for the listeners at home. We wear headbands with our ponytail. She was one of the, the gals who always oh. had like a headband that like not like a cute, like soft, you know, hair wrap kind of headband, but like those thin plastic ones that had the little teeth on them. Oh, yeah. Really and they hurt. make the lines in your hair. Yes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then pinch really bad behind your ears if you're not using the like fully connected one all the way around your head. She girl was a little bit messy. But she really felt that her way was the way, and I, I stood up against that. Yeah. I did not. I did not. She sounds like go a, down that path. She sounds like a real Regina George, being like, I mean, "There's th- these she, are the rules here, okay? This is what we do like here." If, yeah, if like Regina George was a horse girl, she, <sighs> that's who. She, that's who this girl was, and I did not take too kindly to it. So yeah, I respect you standing up to you know the tyranny of Laura. Thank you. I aligned myself with Sarah Bow, and she and I blazed the Clear Springs Elementary Trail, and the yeah. rest is history. But I feel like moving in the middle of a school year when you're nine is a is a formative transition. Oh. So even maybe more than my surroundings or where I lived necessarily shaping who I am as an adult, but like moving at that time definitely did. For sure. I have attachments to things that I don't need to have attachments to. I never know where I want to live. I always want to go somewhere else. <laughs> it's a lot. Now, to keep us in that realm a bit, though, 
what would be eight-year-old Amanda's response if somebody asked her what she wanted to be when she grew up? Ooh. Ooh. You know, I, n- I don't recall really ever having like a solid answer to that question. Mm. And I don't think, I think a lot of kids do. I think a lot of kids don't like, there are a lot of kids who get into stuff and they're like, Oh, I want to be a fire person or, you know, uh, you know, I can imagine little Fran just saying, I want to be a mail carrier. This is all I want. Biggest dream. It's biggest dream. It's been (laughs) his whole life. (laughs) But I don't think I ever necessarily, formed an attachment to a specific goal identity and said, that's what I want to be. Yeah. But I know that I always wanted to be an entertainer. And I like embodied that from a very young age. I was in plays. I liked to sing. I loved to perform. And so there were times in my youth that I thought maybe I'll be an actor, you know, like maybe I'll get into music. I, I had these kinds of, fleeting thoughts without ever having a solid i know i want to do this and i still don't know if i have that i love my job i love podcasting i love connecting with people it's become this job that we kind of invented at a time when podcasting was not in its infancy but still in its like teenagehood yeah and so we got to build something that kind of met our needs and as someone with ADHD and a big presence and a lot of hodgepodge skills that I have never really known exactly how to apply it's very validating to find a a place like that where you go okay I can take these little pieces of myself and these pieces of my identity and these strengths that I have and I can apply them in a way that feels substantial and makes a difference in somebody's life and that's pretty freaking cool laughter is the sun that drives winter from the face of humans Mm -hmm. it's a quote from mr victor hugo Mm. now uh, amanda do you remember a moment or phase in your life when you realized that you were just funnier than most people because that's that's as as a as a as a class clown myself as a person Mm who uh you know likes to entertain and, and make people laugh and, and, you know, just do things. There's a moment that comes where you go, oh, I really can, I'm taking command of this room in a way that other people can't. Everybody, that if, if, if you haven't had the moment, then it just isn't, it's not innate within you. But people mm-hmm. that are listening to this know where there was a moment where you go, because you got to be humble. You got to yep. be humble. Nobody, nobody that's actually funny ever s- describes themselves as funny. Nobody ever uses that <laughs> as like one of their traits or something. That nobody that's actually funny ever says that. But you know, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, I can, I'll, I'll destroy this room if I really want to. So, right. was there a, a moment or an, an age or something where you go, oh, I'm like better than this, better at this than a lot of people, than the average? I, I mean, there were many moments. I I also won class clown in my senior superlatives yes. in my high school. Um, it's a rite of passage for class clowns, yes. It is. It really is. I have many memories. I've I've had this personality really since I could talk and walk. Um, I grew up in my my immediate family is small. I just have one sister, but my mom is the oldest of five children, so we have a lot of cousins. We spent a lot of time together, and so I grew up very 
much around a lot of adults and a lot of kids and and performing all the time making people laugh i had this like dance that i used to do when i was quite literally four maybe five years old called the wiggle and i got caught doing it outside for a bunch of boys in the neighborhood and like pulling up my skirt and doing the wiggle and my mom came out and was like okay we need to go inside like if you want to do the wiggle in front of your mirror or at home with your pants with your pants off like that's fine but you can't pull your skirt up on the street out front and show everybody your privates and i my mom says you looked up at me and you said but they liked it so i have been responding to positive feedback to my antics mm -hmm. since before i could form memories i don't remember doing that but i know that it's true yeah. and my uh, aunts and uncles would always like totally fuel my ego and say i'm the funniest person like the funniest kid i know and i always i got by i did i was not a good student i got by in elementary middle and high school on like charm humor and white privilege alone that's it those are the three pillars i barely graduated i barely graduated high school and i really think that my teachers came through for me a because they liked me and b because i was nominated and voted to mc our graduation ceremony and they were like we're not gonna have you mc the grad ceremony and not walk and not graduate so like this how depressing been, would that have been it would be depressing but i would have risen to the occasion and and made it made it fun let's give but it I've up for all of the graduates where they're yeah, going seriously. off to follow their dreams and us of us other of us will find our way as well and it'll it would be been fine really awkward <laughs> it would have been really truly awkward and and so i know that i've also used humor as a form of survival for a very long time. And while I had a beautiful childhood, every family experiences some kind of trauma. And um, my dad was really sick when I was pretty young uh, and got really sick again when I was still really young, like 13. And he couldn't work. And I spent a lot of time at home caring for him. My sister had already gone to college. My mom had to go back to work. And so one of the things that he could always count on me to do was to make him laugh. Mm. And so I just, I feel like from the time I was young, I was taught and also expressing that if you can laugh through something terrible, you can survive it. And so I think that has also translated to like what we do on wanting crime, because we talk about some, very deeply disturbing things and some very real and raw systemic issues and really heartbreaking topics and we're not laughing at or about these things that we are discussing but we are finding parallels in our own lives that then we can joke about or if we can find a, a trait about a perpetrator of a crime that is just ridiculous and over the top we'll we'll go there um, but it's a little bit like we're using our coping, we're sharing our coping mechanism with the world. The, it's a dark place. There's a lot of bad stuff. And if you can keep your humor, you can survive a whole lot. Absolutely. I have a hot take on that, which is that I feel like that line isn't as blurry as people think that it is. Mm -hmm. I feel like people can tell when that's your intention. Because sometimes you, f you feel like you have to, you know, 
preface, uh, you know, your 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 art with, hey, this is just a joke or whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel like most people know that, and the people yep. who choose to, you know, scold you or come down on you, just want to do that because they don't have anything else to do. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I think that it's clear when somebody is has crossed the line and is being offensive. But when it's clear when it's clear that hey man, listen, we're just talking about something really dark and there's nothing really else to do at this moment but to just kind of try to make light of it mm-hmm. to get to get through it. Yep. That is a lot more clear than you know, than people like to make it seem like, oh, you know, comedy is subjective. And so it's like, no, man, listen, it's pretty clear when something yeah. is sometimes sometimes you just gotta laugh through the pain. And that's a coping mes- mechanism that transcends most like most cultures. Absolutely. I mean, we see that all over the world and the ways that people deal like work through grief, work through trauma. There are lots of ways to do it. There's no I'm not here to say there's any one right way to do it. Because there is the way there isn't. But the way I did it and continue to do it is this way. Yes. And it brings it brings me joy. Yes. And I feel like it's relatable for a lot of folks to be like, here's your shit sandwich and joy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> The alternatives for me and how my brain works, the alternatives to not being able to laugh it off get pretty dark. Yep. So it's it's the best option and it's the most fun. It's the most fun option. It's the it it's is. the best option. Laughter's the best medicine, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If yep. you can, if people even if it's a false strength, if people can see the strength of you being able to make a joke in in this scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember my aunt passed away a couple years back and at her um uh, wake, you know, I told a story about the time that she came home and me and her her daughters, who were my cousins, we had put flour all over the floor and we're sliding all, you know, and it, it we all laughed about it. But mm-hmm. you know, like her body's there, you know, it's it's, and that made us feel good in that moment, as mm-hmm. opposed to just the you know the sadness is going to come, all that stuff is going to come. So why not find moments where you can laugh about it? You know, like it it, it it's it's it helps. Yeah, and as a kid with with ADHD who's now an adult with ADHD that's also like a very common response for people like us to survive in situations that are actually like really hard for our brains to process and I feel like there were it's nice to be on the mid-30s side and look back on eight nine-year-old Amanda who got in trouble for you know disrupting class or making people laugh or whatever and it's like okay I understand that there's like an order to this whole school thing but we don't need to punish these kids like we can actually harness these skills and use some techniques of redirection and then get us back on track without like villainizing this part of your personality and your and your personhood and your identity and now i'm on the other end of that where it's like look who's laughing now i've turned that in exact disruption that i used to be chastised for as a child into my career yes. and that is very fucking validating <laughs> man you hit the nail on the head of that mm-hmm. one because i really resonate with what you were saying about you know i wasn't the best student you know i i, I had the capacity to learn but i just didn't have the interest to learn i don't think school was designed for me mm-hmm. like the, the format of school wasn't designed for me so i much preferred talking to people and standing up as, and i wasn't a i wasn't a like a, a bad kid mm-hmm. oh i've never i could say this confidently i never had a teacher that didn't like me 
Right. But same. they ju- but it would always get to a point where they would go, all right, hey, all right, you got to sit down now. Like, yep. That that's the worst it would get. It was never like aggressive. If they had to call home because my ba- my grades were bad, were bad, they would really pull me aside and be like, hey, listen, I gotta do this. Like, mm-hmm. I gotta let your mom know what's going on in here. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. Hel- like, help me help you. It right. was never like I can't wait to call your parents, and I mm-hmm. hope you get in trouble. Like, I had so mm-hmm. many teachers that loved me and looked out for me. Because they could tell I just I was just a nice kid who just didn't really want to be there, right? You know? And and I that's why I always am, I take every opportunity I can to say like, hey, I'm not a I'm not an outlier. Amanda isn't an outlier. There's a lot of kids like us that you know. Hey, how about a podcasting class and more mm-hmm. acting classes? Make theater expand theater programs to not just magnet schools or you know where you have to pick that track like you have to go to performing arts school to get Mm -hmm. to get this expression out of you because some kids just aren't made to sit at a desk for eight hours and and just have information thrown at them in a monotone voice you know i can't do that it's not it wasn't for me but yeah who's 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 laughing now miss scop yeah Hi, Miss Scott. (laughs) It was a really nice opportunity because the three of us uh, who co-host Wine and Crime, we are childhood best friends. We've been in school together. Lucy and Kenny have been in school together since elementary school. I've been in school with them since middle school. And we went to the same high school. And um, a a former classmate of ours is now a teacher at at that high school. And she teaches like an entrepreneurship course, which was not available to us when we were there. Yeah. And she had us Skype in to talk about, you know, our experience starting our own business and going into podcasting. And it was really nice to be able to talk to these kids and just be like, hey, I remember being a senior at this high school and everybody getting their photos put up in this in the school commons with like their senior photo and what college they're going to and what major they're going to be. And I didn't get into a single college. I barely tried. I think I filled out like two applications. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I would, I had no interest in going to college really. And I had no photo. Like there was no celebration of my graduation in that way. And I felt like some sort of failure and so it was really nice to talk to these kids and just be like, hey, if I'm not saying don't go to college because I think college is valuable, but it's also not your only option. There are so many things. The world is so big and accessible now. There are so many things that you can explore and so many things that you can do. And if you if you change your mind in 10 or 15 years or 20 or 30 years or 40 or 50 years, that's fine. Just change your mind. Try something new. Like, don't worry about it. Don't get so stressed. Yeah. It's not worth it. <laughs> Absolutely. I always tell people, you know, you know, life, life is just a series of decisions. And mm-hmm. there, I don't, I don't, I think right and wrong decisions, that terminology and that thought process is, is a cop out because you can always make another decision. Yep. So if you make a decision and you don't like the path that it put you on, you can make another decision as yep. opposed to just regretting and looking at the other path and it looks it looks green on it looks green over there but it isn't always you don't know what they had to what those people that went that way had to do to make it look that good mm-hmm. so just make another decision so and like you said the world is so open now like if you think you can rap or sing or podcast or try whatever, it. You do it try it give it a try the internet's wide open go on tiktok make tiktoks you know like yeah. you know i i remember i was in the same position i was you know i was like 16 years old i was reading books on how to be a writer and stuff and you know, I had all these, you know, fantasies about being in a writer's room or 
writing for SNL or something. But I inst- instead of that, it didn't feel practical to me. I was like, I'm not going to move to New York and like pursue my dreams. I'm not Carrie Bradshaw. Like this isn't right. real. This isn't realistic. And so I never did. But, but you know, I found myself now and, and made my choices that I made. I don't regret anything that I've done. And then I just found myself on a path now where I get to express myself creatively. And it, it's, mm-hmm. it's very fulfilling. And it's it's not living in New York and doing those things that I would have done at 17 or 18 years old, but I find, I find joy in it and it, and it, mm-hmm. it fulfills me creatively. So I don't regret a path. I just kept following the paths and making the decisions that I made. And, and I found myself here where I stand today and I'm happy right. with where I am. So, you know, good decisions, bad decisions, regretting decisions. It's, it's just a waste of time. Everything, every decision you make. And I'm not one of those like motivational speakers. Who's like, there's no such thing as failure. Like there is such thing as failure. I've failed a million times, yeah. but <laughs> Every decision you make and every failure you endure is an investment in your next option, your next choice. So you can reframe how you think about all the bullshit (laughs) that you've experienced or maybe self-sabotage or whatever you've gone through to lead you to the moment where you're listening to this interview right now and going, I don't know what the hell I want to do next. That's okay. You don't need to know. You just... Take stock of the things you know you learned that you don't want to do and dive in. Try something new. Yeah. In the words of the um, American poet Kanye West. Oh, God. Everything I'm not made me everything I am. There it is. Everything that you fail at, everything that you didn't do, all those, all every every left turn that you made instead of that right turn, it made you who you are today. So mm-hmm. it's all a part of the journey in the grand scheme of things. Hmm. What she order fish fillet yeah yes or yes that's the other uh classic proverb of uh, i have that on a pillow (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at betmgm sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with betmgm you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features live betting options and the best daily promotions in the business and with betmgm at your fingertips every play and every game matters more than ever place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Now, Amanda, you touched on it a bit, but the path that you find yourself on at this point in your life seems pretty impossible to map out. So (laughs) So what was your plan when you graduated high school? So I... 
wanted to pursue and still want to pursue this and actually I'm on a very long and winding road to pursuing this but um a psychology degree with a specialization in like clinical psychology so to be a clinician working with clients I uh completed the majority of my education for my license in uh alcohol and drug counseling uh here in Minnesota and I actually got a really phenomenal internship that I was very excited about and that was at the same time that things with the podcast really explosively took off and so with the support of my professors and the support of the folks at this internship who had hired me I had a meeting with them and I said I don't think this is the right time for me to do this because I'm not going to be able to give this the, the the hours and the attention that this deserves and they it was so great being it, it is so great being in programs provided by schools that specialize in adult education because the kind of response you get when something in your life changes that might slow down your path to graduation is so overwhelmingly positive and like we want to work with you whatever you need if you need to take time off if you need to go down to one class a semester like just circle back when you're ready and we'll worry about the internship down the road and I'm in this program with people almost twice my age, you know? So I'm not, it's not strange for me to slowly be completing a psychology degree on mostly online as a 34 year old and taking my time. Most of my classmates have families. They have full-time day jobs. They have massive responsibilities that I don't even have. Um, So yeah, I mean, I've always had an interest in, in going into that field And I do feel like in a weird way, working in restaurants for so long tapped into some skills that I think I've always had and and am just trying even now to figure out exactly how to use, um, which is why working with uh, patients with substance use disorders spoke to me so much because where I really excelled in that program was uh, in assessment. So basically what that means is you're meeting somebody on their absolute worst day. They might be court ordered to be there. They might be just trying to avoid jail. They might be struggling with CPS. They might be, there's all kinds of reasons that you could be receiving an assessment. And a lot of the time it's not because you've made a decision to change your life. A lot of times it's because that decision has been forcibly made for you. And you really only get like two hours to go through a pamphlet of questions to try to identify what's going on and what level of care these individuals need. And I have a very solid skill of quick connection with human beings. Mm. And I've always felt very lucky to have this. I don't know if I, I, I don't know where it comes from necessarily, but I really do feel like especially face to face, I can meet and connect with somebody and form a bond that's not surface level. Um, and like meet people where they're at and see people for who they are and and approach without judgment and and with a level of openness and vulnerability that I think is valuable. And so I really excelled in that area of study and in that field of practice. And that was what and still is what I would like to do moving forward if and when podcasting is no longer my full time job. I'd love to go into working for a uh, substance use facility and really helping people get connected with the right services. Yeah. And I feel like I try to apply that skill in 
all of the kind of extracurricular areas of my life. Um, so seeing a need, listening and, and, and he really hearing what that need is, and then trying to either fulfill that need or match individuals with services to have that need fulfilled is, uh, it's something I'm very passionate about. So yeah, I mean, a long way to answer. I think that's what I wanted to do after, after high school. I knew I wanted to go into a psychology program, but I didn't know exactly how I wanted to apply like some therapeutic niche that I had. And I guess just living life and experiencing some loss due to substance use disorder in my, in my personal life uh, altered my path of how I want to use my skill set. And then it's just always been in my brain. But yeah. I'm like the perfect example of life throws you curveballs, life throws you opportunities. And if you are so resistant to walking through a door that's opening, you could really miss something. And I think that people take education so seriously as they should and take this idea, this sort of societal pressure to choose a lifelong career, which I don't feel like is very common or even all that sustainable anymore. And so much is changing in the world and we're seeing capitalism for the evil that it is. And, you know, the jobs that our parents had are not, they are few and far between anymore. Yes. And so I think we especially as like an elder millennial subset of society raised by boomers have been very deeply indoctrinated with this you go to school you go to college you get the job when you're 22 or mm. 25 work until you, you work, die yeah you work there for 30 plus years you get married you have your kids and that's how a life is supposed to be and yeah. i have never followed that path never not a single day. I, I'm sure it kept my parents awake at night thinking, what the hell is this girl? Like, where is she going to go? What is she going to do? How is she going to feed herself? How is she going to keep a roof over her head? And I just sort of let the flow of the river take me. That Sometimes yeah. that took me to restaurants. Sometimes that took me to temp, temporary employment jobs. Some, then it took me to podcasting. It took me back to college. It took me – it's taken me all over the world. And so – I'm grateful for it, and it might. And other people might be planners. That might be a very anxiety-inducing life story for a lot of listeners, and that's okay. You don't have to do it, but it's just one of the many ways that you can live if you're open to that, to those opportunities that you might stumble on. Absolutely, I you know I, I've uh, I I take a lot of what you said, um, and and apply it to and and especially in the last five years or so, and apply it to just my career and, mm -hmm. and sprinkles of my life, because like you said, you hit on so many good points, but um, we've been, we've been programmed and, and made to believe that life is supposed to fit in this box. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to do this by 26. You're supposed to do this by 30. You're supposed to do this by 35. And if you don't do those things, something's wrong with you. You're, yep. you're not, you, it, it's, it's, it's not, you're just living your life. It's your life has gone off the track, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the idea of, Getting your education at 45, making a decision. There's nothing wrong with any of these decisions. Nobody should ever be like, whoa, really? I mean, it's kind of late in life. No, little, yeah, no a little late in the game. Yeah, it's like none of these things. You're, you're speaking from inside of a box. And if people mm -hmm. ever, if people, not every, it's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people are, will wake up one day and realize that they were sold a false dream. Yeah. They worked at a company for 30 years or they didn't even work for the company for 30 years. They thought they were going to work there for 30 years and they worked there for 10. And then the company goes, hey, man, um, we're letting people go. 
because yeah. that's how the, that's how the economy works. And you know, I know that you love it here or whatever. You're you're the most loyal employee, and you did all the stuff that your dad or your mom told you to do, and show up early, leave late, and you know, do all the extra work for no extra money. But fuck you. So uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're you know you're furloughed, and you know, but really we're never gonna bring you back. And when you re- when you have all those moments of realization, you marry the person at thirty because you're thirty and like you got to get married, but you don't really know if that's if they're the one but like you're 30 so you got to get married you do all these things yeah and then you know when when you should be listening to yourself and listening to your heart and not listening to what society has told you because what we saw in 2020 when the whole world shut down was Mm -hmm. that this society that society that's been built doesn't know what the hell they're talking nobody knows anything we're all just guessing we're all just writing uh, 10 step manuals in yeah. real time and then passing them to people like it's the gospel. And, and this was just made on a pop-up type of thing, you know, mm-hmm. and that's how society has been built. So the society that we've, we've built and we exist in um, it's, it's the, it's the matrix. And when you learn and see the matrix for what it is and you see the numbers going down the screen and you learn that you can step outside of this box and do what you want to do and not, well, I wasted yep. a year of my life in college because I wanted to make my mom happy. Mm-hmm. Because I felt like my family wanted to see me do that, but that I didn't. I didn't want to do that. Yep. And be, and instead of me spending a year trying to find pathways that fit what I want to do, I wasted mm-hmm. a year trying to appease other people. Mm-hmm. So imagine what I could have done with that time when, I, if I was focusing on what I wanted to do and looking at, okay, if you don't go to college, what if you do this? Yep. You know. So and so if people learn to do that instead of what the societal pressures are telling you to do. I think that there'll be a lot more happiness in the world. I feel like a lot of people are just, that's why I see so many memes uh, recently or like in the last couple of years of, are we in a simulation? Like sometimes it just feels like people are just floating through life or, you know, you see a person in their car with both their hands on the steering wheel, just staring blankly ahead. And it's like, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, it's possible. This is all a simulation. I don't, I'm not discounting that. It it is possible. And it keeps me up many a night, Amanda. It it, it really truly haunts me when I think too much about it, but (laughs) It's Same. also <laughs> it's also likely that a lot of people are just f- drifting through life because they're do- they're either failing at what society's telling them they should be doing or they're yep. doing what society's telling them they should be doing and they're not happy with it. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah. And I just think that w- one thing we can really take away from this pandemic is well there's so many things. The fragility of capitalism, the importance of the working class and the inflexibility of our society and and the expectations of our society but then the resilience of humankind the flexibility of humankind and how we are adaptable and we can make changes in in positive ways and we've seen that play out in maybe smaller ways than we wish i'd love for you know the anti-work and work reform to, to take a much bigger a much bigger role globally, but it is, we're in a capitalist global economy. It is what it is. Baby steps. But, yeah, baby steps. But, I mean, for all of the things that have gone down in the last now going on three years that have left us with so many reasons not to be hopeful, there are also so many things that have left us with reasons to be hopeful. Like the strength of community and how much communities have risen and worked together to support each other and to say, hey, we don't need you, government. We don't need you, like, gatekeeping nonprofit that's not actually doing anything. Like, we can, we need each other, and we can support each other. And that's been huge, overwhelmingly evident, certainly since the pandemic, 
absolutely, at least in Minneapolis, and I've seen it in many places since uh, the George Floyd uprisings. Like there have been so many changes that, while for many looking outside looking in, might experience fear. When you're in it, it's actually there's so much love and community and and support and warmth and progress that it's just it's impossible, at least for me, to go back to it to the way of life that I was so comfortable in. I, I won't do it. Drinking good wine with good food and good company is one of life's most civilized pleasures. Mm. It's a quote from Mr. Michael Broadbent, British wine critic, writer, and auctioneer in a capacity as a master of wine. Wow. Amanda, when did your love affair with wine begin? And how did you gain your vast knowledge of the vin de table? Well, I listen to I listened to that many a times on dictionary.com to, uh-huh. to, to, to make sure that I, I, I pronounced it correctly. So I hope I did a good Looking job. Looking up internet videos of pronunciations is It's my favorite my, thing. My jam. Yeah. yeah. So my dad actually worked as the VP of marketing for a wine and spirits company that no longer exists, but that was what he was doing in Connecticut. And uh, what brought us to Minnesota was that company being purchased and then I think dissolved by Pillsbury and Pillsbury was based out of Minnesota. So that's what brought us here. But he had always had a deep understanding and appreciation for wine as part of his job. He and my mom had traveled like all over the world for wine tastings in Europe. And um, he worked on like tequila campaigns and went and tasted like legitimate tequila from tequila mexico like all i mean he really was like a connoisseur yeah so we always had wine in our house we always had you know liquor in our house and i was very popular in high school because we had so (laughs) much of it that i could sneak it out and no one would notice that it was gone um yeah i don't highly recommend that but if you want to make friends and you're 15 16 that's a great it'll it'll get the job done but then i got to work in restaurants uh really starting in high school and then can very much continue to do so after graduating from high school. And uh, I it wasn't really until I got a position with a restaurant here in the Twin Cities called the Harriet Brasserie. It's still like my favorite place in the whole world. I'm obsessed with it. And I worked there for many years. And uh, the owner, Fernando Silva, he is um, originally from Brazil. He grew up farming and came to the U.S. to and came to Minnesota to study like agricultural chemistry at the U of M. So this brilliant mind comes to Minnesota, gets this incredible education, and then opens a restaurant and incorporates like not just the flavors of food, but how food is grown and where food is grown to contribute to the flavor of food. And so naturally, he also had a very deep understanding and appreciation for wine because there's so much to know about viticultural regions and and climates and when a, when a year is stormy and when a year is dry and just how vastly different the exact same varietal of wine can taste year after year after year and so i think really like working closely with him and kind of seeing how passionate he is and how interesting it all was was even something that i wasn't getting from my dad yeah and so he started i i took an interest and he was like why don't you start sitting in on wine tastings because he was he was curating the entire wine list himself as also the owner and the head chef of this restaurant the dude never slept (sighs) Um, like Wes Anderson he's like I want to produce it I want to pick the music I want to direct and I want to write it as well this guy donated 
bone marrow, gave a bone marrow transplant, transplant, and came back to work like a week later. Oh man! Like I looked into, I looked, I looked into that to to fund a trip to Miami, and I backed out immediately. I was like, "How long is the needle? I'll pass." Yeah, it's a little scary, but this man is wow. He's he's hardcore. So I started sitting in at these tastings, and it was so cool because then you're actually interacting with like wine makers and people who sell wine who know ev- like actual sommeliers are coming in and pouring you these wines and walking through like here's something that you're going to notice if you think about this think about this word think about this smell think about this you know climate when you're drinking this and you're going to notice this flavor and you're going to pick up on this and I was like holy shit this is like magic I'd never experienced that before and so I just really immersed myself in it. I got, uh, I was supported in getting my level one sommelier certification, which is very, like, it sounds really special, but it's really not. It's like, you know how to open a bottle of wine at a table without fucking it up. And you kind of know how to identify a varietal. Like that's, that's basically it. But um, I got into it enough. And then my boss, Fernando, he trust started to trust me to curate the wine list. So I stepped into more of a management role and I started working with the team to actually pick the wines that were going on the wine list. And that I had so much pride in like what we were picking together that I just took it very seriously and got really deep into the research and was looking at where different wines were coming from and trying to find all these unique wines that were not available other places in the twin cities and just like really offer something cool that puts our menu at the center, but it's so complimentary. They just work together beautifully. And we would put together wine tasting dinners that was like coursed meals made specifically for the wine that we were bringing in and we just did so many cool events and it was amazing and then when we launched the podcast i was like i don't want to stop necessarily doing some of this fun stuff like how can we keep some of that in there and we just kind of found the perfect way to do it and it's like little small bites and it's not the same level of of depth because we don't i like there's whole podcasts about wine and i'm not trained enough to do those but it's been a really cool way for me to continue to try and seek out new things and get really cool recommendations and then learn about wines that I never would have tried before. Yeah, but also to really uh, uh, buckle up, I'm going to give you a compliment. Um, <laughs> you say you say that you know it's it's only a, 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 a slice or you only get to do a little bit of it, but what you guys do is brilliant because you. For the layman, you're giving them a vast amount of knowledge. You know, like for, for the obviously, you know, you know, this guy who I quoted earlier, he's a wine master. Right. But for people, millions of people drink wine and one percent of those people are wine masters. Mm-hmm. So for the average person, knowing the difference between like a Grenache and a this and, you know, a, a port wine and th- not, they don't know that they just know red and white. And you've opened up. You know, I feel like uh, Venus and not not to call you guys the the, the <laughs> William like, sisters of wine. Okay, okay. But but, but when people <laughs> saw Venus and Serena with like beads in their hair and wearing mm-hmm. Nike shoes and stuff, they go, "Oh, this isn't elitist. Like this, yep. anybody can play tennis, and and now anybody can have an interest in wine and 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 not feel uh, you know uh, pretentious when they go, oh, right. that's you know that's a, a Merlot or you know whatever. That's a semi dry. You know." You've made it to where it's just a, a part of conversation. It, it doesn't have to feel like something that is being gatekept, you know? I very much have Fernando to thank for that, too, because you're so right. Like, the gatekeeping, the lack of accessibility, the pretension, 
in the wine world the, is is rampant. It is bad. And it gives wine, a, like, it leaves, for lack of a better term, like a crappy taste in your mouth about the wine world. And it's like, there are so many incredible vintners making so many cool things that don't cost $300 a bottle. And that was something that was really important to us doing the show is it's like, we'll pair wines that are four bucks. We'll pair wines. We've done wines that are 40 bucks. I think that's like the most expensive wine we've ever done. Um, but I, people always ask, like, how do you know if a wine is good? It's good if you like it. Do you like that wine? Then that's a good wine. If you like it and you enjoy drinking it, then it's fucking good. Do I love Chardonnay? No, I think it's horse piss. But I'm going to keep trying Chardonnays and finding ones that I like. And I'm going to keep my mind and my palate open. I'll try anything once. And I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum. Like, how you want to experience wine is totally up to you. And it should be accessible to everybody who wants to learn about it. Everybody who wants to try it. And it shouldn't cost a fucking mortgage to start having a little collection of wine at your house and stuff like that. Like, you should be able to have access to stuff like that without it being so so closed off and so gatekept as you perfectly put it absolutely and now you guys have wine you have a you have wine we do so we like, make think our about own that's, wine. <laughs> that's that's crazy right i mean that's i mean it's that's nuts. pretty nuts right it's such a cool experience and getting to be part of it and do all the tastings and like really pay attention to the details and then end up with a product that we're so proud of it's like it's it's really special and again that's a door that never in a million years i imagined would be open to me and podcasting like a random opportunity of podcasting opened that door so you just never know you never know what's out there now the first episode of wine and crime was released in 2017 it was so how many months of manic planning preceded that release because between kenyan and lucy now, admittedly, I only know I know fun chill Amanda, so that's why I picture you just being very fonzy about the situation, and you know, you come up and you guys are like, guys, just let's just drop it. The world's gonna love it. You bang a jukebox with your elbow. What's new, Pussycat starts playing, and then whoa, you kind of just walk, whoa, yep. you, you just walk out of the room. So, how much before that release was was it like? When's the day? What's the best time? Is it is it good enough? Is it, all that stuff that comes with you know that that initial podcast creation. So Kenyon carried the mantle of most of that anxiety and prep work. So at the time that we started, Lucy and I were both working full time in our respective careers at the time. And Kenyon was uh, on a spousal visa in South Africa. Yes. Her uh, husband it was a teacher there. Excuse me. And um, she was not able to work. Her visa did not allow her as an American citizen to work in South Africa. And so Kenyon is so ambitious and so laser focused that like, while many people would be like, Oh, that's a dream. You're, you're in this beautiful country. You don't have to work. You can just, you know, enjoy your time there. And it was making her lose her. I need to do stuff. I need to do things. She was going nuts. So she was doing a lot of volunteering and really making great, like, connections and and doing the best she could to just feel like a useful member of society but she spent a lot of her time listening to podcasts and it helped with like her homesickness and feeling far away from her family and i she just kind of approached us one day and was like i think we could do this and i think it could be a business and lucy and i were like 
okay, crazy, <laughs> you're bored. We have full-time jobs. What? And she came to us with a name. She came to us with spreadsheets about the market. She came to us with potential topics, potential advertisers. Like she came, she came prepared. Like she knew she, she did the whole play. slide deck. Yeah. She like it was play. like, she made a, she made a pitch presentation basically. <laughs> and so Lucy and I were like, okay, you know what? This is intriguing. I think you might be thinking too big here, but we're going to go with it and see what happens. And we can give you five hours a week to put into this project. So we nabbed social media handles. Kenyon worked on our logo and we, you know, Kenyon built a website. Like she had, she's like, I'll get the domain name. Like I don't have a job. I will be, I will carry this. Like, let's go. So she really built the brand. Like she really did in terms of all the visuals, kind of like what we thought we wanted to do. And we went into it going, okay, we'll, we'll record a season <laughs> we'll release a couple episodes. We'll see what the reception is, and check then back in. We'll check yeah. back in with each with each other, and know? then we'll reevaluate. And uh, we went live on social media without before we'd release a single episode. I don't think we'd even recorded yet when we started mm. tweeting, doing Facebook, doing Instagram, and all of a sudden people are like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What is this? When can we listen to this? This looks ridiculous! Like, when when do we get it? When do we get it?" And then we were yeah. like, "Oh shit! They they." they want this like people yeah. these are not just our friends and family it's like strangers want us to drop an episode so we had like a three like a 90 day timeline that went down to a five day timeline so we were like oh, okay we're we're ordering shitty mics yeah. off of amazon and we're recording tomorrow okay we're doing it yeah and i watched youtube videos to figure out how to edit things and like the, our first five episodes are barely listenable it was just i don't know how to do this google it figure it out i don't know how to do this google it figure it out we had no money we each invested a hundred dollars in our business and for each of us that was like that money. was a big yeah that was a month of groceries i mean it was that yeah. was hard to walk away from we were we were poor and we were figuring it out and it just the the support that we received it was so many factors it was like we we figured out a concept and a and a solid um, structure for the show early, so yes. I think we played around with it maybe in the first two episodes, and then we were like, no, we always Locked Lucy Lucy always wants to do background insight. Kenny and I always want to cover a, a case. Great, we're gonna lock that in. So now we have our format. It's not gonna change, and then that predictability is really great with people. We're also not, like your show. We're not serialized, so looking yeah. at an, a library that now has you know, over 300 episodes on it can be very overwhelming, but it's like, actually you can just scroll and pick a topic pick that looks anyone. fun and yeah. just jump in. Yeah. Um, and so we had a ton of support, true crime comedy, especially had just really hit on the scene. Uh, we released within like a month of, and that's why we drink coming out. We were hot on the coattails of the meteoric rise of my favorite murder. It just really felt like, this was the moment for how people like us talk about true yeah. crime because we hadn't seen it until this. Yes. So we were like, we can commit to being authentic. We can commit to being vulnerable and we can commit to being funny. That's it. And so people just really resonated with it. So it was like a pinch of luck, a pinch of great timing and a pinch of authenticity. And now here we are five years later with a, an expanding business like a, a, a brand known around the world and it's all of our full-time jobs with employees and like health insurance and retirement. Like it's and, nuts. And Kenyon's like, yeah, I told you guys, I yeah. saw the oh. whole thing. 
I saw 100%, it. hundred percent. hundred percent. You're like, I can't even, sometimes I'm like, I can't believe this. Like, I, no, I, I wrote it in the plan. Did you yeah. not get to page six of my, of my PowerPoint presentation? I, I said this would happen in 2022. This is what I said would happen. Pretty much. And all, all credit to her for that. She really was able to visualize and I guess manifest something that we were not seeing. And yeah. It, it really speaks to the trust among the three of us in this friendship to go, you know what? I'm going to follow your lead. We're going to take a risk. We're going to try this. And now we have a life that we never could have had if we hadn't done it. So, you know, it's, pr- it's yeah. pretty fucking wild. More compliments are coming because, one, you guys you guys have such a well-oiled machine. And I, I've noticed that the machine was so well-oiled so, so early on. So for you guys to know hey, man, a format is important. Like, t- structure is important. Also, the name is just, there's a ton of, now there's a ton of podcasts that they drink wine and they and they podcast but or about true crime, mm-hmm. but you guys have, like, the de facto wine. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's the best, it's not too broad, it's not, you know, drinking a Sauvignon Blanc and talking about bludgeoning people. Like, it's like, it's like, it's well, the perfect. Well, now I'm submitting a name change yeah. to that. So that's way, way quippier. It's I succinct. Love that. It's yeah. succinct. It's yeah. succinct. But like wine, broad, crime, broad. Like you, you took. It's the best one. We you know? couldn't believe it didn't exist because we yeah. we looked. We didn't want to be t- taking something yeah. from someone else. And like obviously, there are tons of shows that are very similar to what both of us do. Yes. And that's fine. Like, I don't think that you could really ever oversaturate the market of true crime and wine no. and like no. drinking, drinking alcohol and hanging out with your friends. Like that's no. a, that's an abundant and infinite market. And we're not going to come for any of them. Yes. But w- w- we couldn't believe it when we we checked Instagram, Twitter, you know, Facebook, Google. We looked because we wanted wine and crime. We yeah. looked for it and it was not being used. Serendipitous, man. So we were like, well, shit we gotta grab we have to grab immediately now yeah (laughs) immediately (laughs) and now it's i mean we've trademarked wine and crime specifically but it's like i love that this concept has grown in popularity because it's so accessible and so fun and especially in like post pandemic times yes we're all in we were all in the house (laughs) yes and to just feel like you're hanging out with your friends in your headphones is there's something so deeply comforting about that. And uh, it's one of the greatest joys in my life to share that vulnerability with other people. Kenyon having her stance that she had and you guys having the stance that you had is (laughs) the perfect marriage because I tell people all the time, you just got to make the thing, man. Like Mm -hmm. don't worry about spending too much money. So the idea that, but but sometimes what people do is they come out of the gates with the business mind state Mm -hmm. and they have given no thought to the podcasting are we going to be good at this? Mm-hmm. Should we come check back in when we started? Like, do we really want to invest a ton of money and, and trademark and all this stuff before we have even figured out if we like podcasting mm-hmm. and you guys did both and it worked out tremendously. Yeah. And so, so I kind of have to change my stance where I go, yeah, I mean, there's no, there's nothing wrong with approaching starting a podcast as a business, but you got to have the desire to do all the other stuff as well. And, and also the, not have the fear of pulling the trigger and learning on the fly and learning we, how to edit and all that stuff. Yeah. We definitely had uh, both of those. Like we knew from the beginning that we wanted to register it as an LLC. So we did that. We knew from the beginning, mostly because of just the three of our financial situation that we wanted to have a separate business bank account so that we are not mixing paying our rent with paying our domain 
fees or whatever and that we yeah. were equally sharing the load financially and in terms of work we immediately made our own partnership agreement where we wrote it ourselves we based it off of like an existing template but it was like here's what's expected here is here are contingencies for if one or someone wants to stop um here are the you know this is the separation of ownership of the business which is equal this is these are our responsibilities like we did some of that stuff really early yeah and then as we grew and just like any other business you start off doing everything yourself and then you're like okay actually we need a lawyer so then we hired a lawyer and then it's like okay we need an accountant you hire an accountant we need someone to do our taxes all right, you hire someone to do your taxes. We need an editor full-time. I can't do this anymore. You hire a full-time editor. We need yeah. a production manager, like a producer who's handling social media, behind-the-scenes work, you know, helping filter through emails, like a lot of administrative stuff. Our production manager administrator is – we couldn't exist without this team. Yeah. And that you have to – it's scary to hire someone too because you're like – this is our business. We're sustaining our ourselves and our families now with this business, and we're hiring new people. So we're also responsible for making sure they are competitively paid. They are getting comprehensive health care. They are getting retirement benefits and opportunities. And you are the one that is responsible for making sure that those bills are getting paid every other week. Yeah. So it comes with a lot of fear, but when you – when you get into the groove and you like really believe in what you're doing it, it's doable you can grow yeah. at your comfort level and it's taken us five years to get to having multiple employees and we just started offering health insurance within the last like four months i mean this is yeah. new we've been busting ass on this project for years before it before i could stop picking up shifts at restaurants like you're gonna hustle yeah but if you trust the process and you're really committed to it, you can build it. You really can. And if you build it, they will come. They fucking yeah. will. Yeah. Make the thing. Mm -hmm. That's I mean, that, that's that's for me. I always tell people that's the core because, you know, you get caught up in projections and what you want to do and where you want to see yourself in five years. But it's like, well, if you don't just hunker down and do the thing, stop worrying about what camera you need to for it to look this way. Stop worrying about the microphones. Because it's, it's going to be bad. Like yep. you said, the first five, for oh. me, I, it's the first, like, 30, man. Like, if, I, if I'm being critical no, on myself. You guys it's, actually, it's, your editing chops are nuts. I, like, can't believe it that you're still doing it yourself. Oh, it's, I got a lot is, better. It, it was a trial and error thing for sure. It's so hard. It's yeah, so it's, it's, labor yeah. intensive. And you are doing, you're adding, like, production quality that I never even tried to fuck with. For, well, sometimes you need to have, like, you know, the latest uh, meme sound bite or something. You got, you got to, you got to throw that in there sometimes. So, Uncut you know, joms. yeah, <laughs> so Uncut joms. Uh, you got to throw an Uncut joms in there yeah, sometimes, Uncle you know, it, it, it just has to be done, but yeah, no, those first 10, five, 20, they're going to be bad. And mm -hmm. that's just nobody, no matter, no matter who you are, no matter how good the equipment is, no matter how much money you spend, when you put mouth to mic mm -hmm. and hit the record button, you're going to freeze up. You're going to say words wrong. You're going to stammer. All of this stuff is going to happen. So just do the thing mm -hmm. because, because that's where you're going to get better, no matter how much money you have, no matter what. I mean, I go on TikTok and I see all these clips of people. That everybody has a podcast now and everybody has video podcasts, which yeah. is like in studio. Everybody has studios with like great ambient lighting and plants around. And I'm like, 
who, who, how much money did you spend? Are you renting a studio space? And then, um, but I'm, I've seen so many TikToks. I'm not going to call anybody else specifically, but I've seen so many TikToks of these grandiose, beautiful studios, mm-hmm. and they're just talking about nothing, like mm-hmm. because they're they're in their mind they go yeah, but look how good it looks. Yeah, if it's look how good the production value if, is. If, yeah, if production is professional. That's only one. That's only one small part of it. It takes some of the most work, but it's actually a very small part of it. It's a, it's yeah. about your content, your passion, your authenticity. If people can't connect with you while they're sitting in their car or washing their dishes or walking their pet or whatever, if they're not connecting with what you're talking about and if you are you can't fake passion in a topic that no. you are discussing for an hour and a half, 2 hours. You can't fake it. No. So if you try, it's not it's not going to land. Like it yeah. just won't. And I think that numbers and listenership, subscribers, those are very fun metrics. But if you're proud of what you're putting out there and you yes. have even five people listening to it, that is success. Like, that yes. is awesome. You're making this thing and people are enjoying it. How fucking cool is that? Yes. I think, I mean, listen, I enjoy making money podcasting. I enjoy getting boxes of food. Yeah. I, I enjoy getting stuff Underwear sent to me in the f- mail. It's fun. It's, yeah. it's a fun thing. But I enjoy podcasting more than any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I enjoy talking to my friend Amanda and recording it and having in, in, in interesting conversations. I enjoy recording mm-hmm. with my friend Fran and talking about a subject that we both really have interest in and talking about uh, what post-apocalyptic weapons we would choose. And, and just I enjoy that stuff. And then I enjoy... Stop. When everything's done, I enjoy editing and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and really feeling like I made something. You know, it's the same. If you're a rapper, you're a singer, you're whatever. I feel that same fulfillment from creating an episode of a podcast. Yep. Now, someday that, might, that feeling might go away and I'll go, I don't want to edit anymore. I just want to do the podcasting mm-hmm. part. But it hasn't yet. And if you have that, then it'll sustain you when you aren't making money podcasting. If you never make money podcasting. Mm-hmm. Because when the day comes when... If you aren't making, actually, let me say both. If you are making money from podcasting and you hate it, then what are you doing? It's gonna be it's gonna be miserable. Like eventually, yeah. you're eventually you're just on a slow spiral to the end because eventually people will hear that you're not having. Yeah, you fun. just have another job that you hate that you don't want to. Yeah, deal with. and then but in that and at that job, people will like if you hate working at McDonald's, people are still gonna come in and get Big Macs. Yeah, but if you hate podcasting, eventually people are gonna go. Oh, it's not really what it used to be. It's yeah. not really fun anymore. I can mm-hmm. hear it, and then you'll lose the money starts to go away, and then you just kind of have to stop doing this thing that you stopped liking a long time ago, yep. which is way sadder than like enjoying what you do and not making any money from it. It just is a fun hobby. That's all podcasting has ever been. Mm -hmm. Now it's blown up, but it's all it's ever been is like a fun hobby or way to hang out with your friends, a way to talk about or learn about things that you're interested. That's all it's ever been. And now it's blown up into a thing that is viable, but Mm -hmm. you got to keep that hobby love for it to want to do it. Absolutely. There is no greater gift you can give or receive than to honor your calling. It's why you were born and how you become most truly alive. That is a quote from the Queen Oprah Winfrey. Beautiful. Amanda, hmm. do you feel as though you have found your calling? You know, I think I've found one of many. I have the same philosophy about finding your calling, in air quotes, as I do about soulmates or the love of your life or the one 
I yeah. don't think there's any one thing or someone for anyone. I think we are complex and malleable and adaptable and interesting and smart and that over the course of a lifetime, you're going to have experiences that completely change your worldview and shape who you are in that moment. And you, I look back on myself 10 years ago and I don't even recognize that girl. So to answer your question, yeah, I do. I feel like I was put on this earth in some way, shape or form to entertain and bring people joy. And I am doing that. And that will always be part of what I want to do, no matter how I'm applying it. That's always going to be a part of me, my identity, my humanity. But yeah, I think that for right now, hell yeah, this is my calling. It feels so natural and normal. It's like putting on my favorite pair of leggings every day. And if that changes in five years, I am ready to find my new calling and let the doors that are going to open open because that's how I got here. So I, I now know to trust that process. And lastly, mm -hmm. I have one request. Okay. Can you, Amanda? Oh, God. Help me unleash my worst Minnesotan accent. Oh, my God. Of course I can. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that was actually a good start. That was just, yeah. Okay. So we're going to practice some very common words. So. Okay. That was good. We're going to say bag. Big. Like a grocery a bag. A grocery bag. A grocery bag. Okay. Yeah. We're going to say hot dish. Hot, hot, hat. dish. Kind of like hat. 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 hat dish. Hat dish. Oh, yeah. And if you're, dish. If you're really going to get specific, you're going to say tater tat hat dish. Tater, tater tat hat dish. Hell yeah. A tater tat. A, a tater tat hot dish. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, for cute. You know, do you remember that snowstorm we got on Halloween in 1994? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, the day, yeah. The, the day before, I saw Prince at the Mile of America. Oh, yeah, you did. You know? Oh, oh yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, there are those Minnesotanisms where it's like, if you're giving a resounding yes, it's oh yeah yeah, and oh. if if it's a if it's a no, it's oh yeah no no yeah no. oh yeah no no oh no yeah mm, no. oh no yeah oh yeah, oh, yeah no. no. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you bump into somebody on accidentally, you have to say op. <laughs> That's just, just, just o p e that? op 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 op. Just gonna it's, sneak it's... right past you, grab the ranch. <laughs> Amanda, before we uh, uh, bid each other adieu, yeah, I do have a questionnaire that I, I, I like to read. Uh, it was it was made famous by uh, Mr. Bernard Pivot, and of course the great James Lipton used it on Inside the Actor Studio for many a year. Okay, so it's just a series of questions, just to throw at you, see where see where you're coming from, see where your head's at. Okay. Yes. Now, <clears throat> what is your favorite word? Chartreuse. What is your least favorite word? Grundle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a grody one. That it's one's grody. That one's, yeah, that one's grody. I can like. Sure. It's a word you can smell. That's <laughs> yeah, why I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's there for sure. I, I see where you're coming from. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is a quality that you love in people? Humor. What is a quality that you hate in people? 
Pretension. What sound or noise do you love? My cat purring. What sound or noise do you hate? People chewing with their mouths open. Mm, like yeah, full a, body cringe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smacking. Mm-hmm. What is your go-to karaoke song? Ooh. Um, wow, there are a lot. <laughs> what Cur- isn't? <laughs> Currently, I'd say top of my list is Man, I Feel Like a Woman, a, cl- a Shania Twain classic, or Fernando mm. by ABBA. What profession other than yours would you like to attempt? Interior design. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. You do have a you have a very haunting. It's a haunting eye, it's very but it all it works. I'm it a works. maximalist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're clutter core to the max yep. for sure. It's like yeah, it's like. Do you need? F- you should put like fifty six frames on this yes. uh, on this wall. You need a gallery and all wall of th- in every room. Yeah, and all of them should be little boys in suits at funerals of loved ones. Correct. Um, what profession would you never want to participate in? Police. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I'd like him to say two things. One, all pants fit and don't feel like they have a waistband here. (laughs) And your dad is right over here. Those are the two things. And I... It's the no, double whammy that would be. It's no shade on my dad to have the pants thing <laughs> prioritized. I've gotten used to living without him, so I it's just yeah. like the pants so, thing. So hey dad, I hope you're here, but I'm going to yeah. be here forever. But yeah. I need my pants to be comfy. I've gotten used to you not being around. I need I, the pants thing I'm still not I, I haven't found my niche there yet. So, that's what I want in a heaven. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Uh Amanda, thank you. This has been hilarious and amazing and always a good time um i have never told you that uh from from doing uh down by the creek to where we are now it it brings me great joy i consider you a, a friend oh like hell a tr- yeah a, a, a true friend you not are a, my friend a, a podcast <laughs> a, a associate or something no. like that and the the journey of that it was so like it Immediate. was instant yeah, and so I just appreciate you. Whenever I call and ask you to do something, you 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 get right to it, and I, and I and I thank you for that. I really do appreciate that. Listen, and this was so fun. It is such an honor and a privilege to be your friend to send you Furby TikToks at two thirty in the morning. I mean, I wish, I wish, I wish that that part would stop. They are starting to give me nightmares. You gotta take but the good with the bad. I, that's a fair point. And that I I point. need them to fall asleep now. So <laughs> then I really the the amount of TikToks I send Alvin in the middle of the night because he's an hour ahead of me is yeah. really and they're never like look at this hilarious uh somebody dropped a milkshake on the ground it's like look at this uh, doll baby with a uh, dog's paws on it yep like, they're oh. never g- gentle or comforting in any way no and there's always like um uh circus box music playing always. in the background always. <laughs> Always, it's it's deeply unsettling. But thank, thank you for this. This is the, it's my love language, man. I mean, <laughs> just imagine, just imagine. Take the good with the bad. Yeah. Take the good with the bad. I have I've basically <laughs> built a tomb around my partner that I've chosen to live my life with, full of like weird Furbies, dead yes. dead things that have been put in frames or pinned to walls, and he has also learned how to sleep at night. So don't you're in good company of me scaring the men in my life. It's not abnormal. <laughs> <laughs> That's, good. That's good to know. Now, um, obviously, we've we've spoken about your podcast a ton, but 
Go ahead. You got to plug your podcast. Yeah. That's what you got to do. You come here. You plug your podcast. Where, where can people find it? What is it called? I've never heard of it. What What are we doing, uh, Amanda? What do you What do you do again? It's garbage. I mean, don't even <laughs> bother. Uh, but if you're really feeling like some masochistic uh, hangout time, uh, go look up Wine and Crime. We are literally anywhere you can get podcasts. You could probably pick up a seashell on the side of the beach and and listen to it. And that know. was one of Kenyon's early marketing. Plans, it was. Right? It did not work out. Street team, seashell Exa- street team. Exactly. Yeah. Didn't go far. <laughs> not super profitable, but whatever. It, we tried it. Didn't work. Um, and then you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Wine and Crime Pod. We have Patreon for Wine and Crime, where we do we do release video episodes and additional fun content. And hopefully. By the time this comes out, we will have solid dates for an upcoming tour. We are getting back on the road now that Omicron is under control and we feel like we can actually be in your presence safely. We want to keep you safe and ourselves safe. So we have a lot of fun stuff coming up. Um, so, yeah, check out our website, wineandcrimepodcast.com. We're, we kind of dominate the first page Google. So if you Google Wine and Crime, you're going you're gonna to find oh, yeah. our uh, weird our weird shit you're gonna find it oh yeah oh, oh no, yeah. yeah oh no. oh yeah no. oh yeah no. oh yeah you're not oh. gonna have any problem finding whining crime you know those <laughs> minnesota gals yeah for sure <laughs> uh <laughs> amanda thank you so much to everyone else good night thank you so much for having me absolutely Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.